Welcome to Conscious Curiosity SD, where successful leaders share their stories of leading beyond profit and are using the influence of business to positively change the companies and communities we all work and live in. I'm your host, Jeff Blanton from Jailbreak Leadership, a process to help leaders fully engage all their stakeholders by making work meaningful. We want to thank our sponsors, a collaborative community of San Diego business organizations, the Better Business Bureau, Conscious Capitalism, and Be Local, who are all focused on supporting this next generation of leader. Welcome to the show. My wife, Karen, runs a nonprofit at Pacific Beach with a mission to harness the power of community relationships to impact our neighbors' most urgent social challenges. The biggest social issue we face in Pacific Beach, as in many of our communities of San Diego, is homelessness. Karen's been working in this arena for six years and had a dream that one day Shoreline Community Services would have a day center, a place where the unhoused could come in, get the services they need to help them on their journey, get to get back into society, off the streets, and into housing. Then it happened. A partner church here in Pacific Beach offered up God's Garage. God's Garage looks like it's been around for a couple hundred years and only being used locally by a couple of sobriety groups. It was really the only one way to describe God's Garage. It was in bad shape. Then enters... Algar Construction through the Algar Foundation. The Algar team came in and completely reworked God's Garage, creating a beautiful new home for Karen's dream, the Compass Station. In the studio today, I have Margot Whitchurch, the CFO for Algar Construction and the CFO for the Algar Foundation. Margot, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. To add to the story, during the project, Karen and I were invited to a celebration for the Algar Foundation and a bit of a transition of leadership from Rick and Marianne Algar to their son, Grant. In the process, I got the chance to learn about the work the Algars and their business has been doing over the years, and it just blew me away. I said to Karen, I need to get someone from Algar on the show. And apparently, Margot pulled the short straw, and here she is. <laughs> so, again, welcome to the show, Margot. <laughs> Thank you. I don't know if it was the short straw. <laughs> well, anyways, we're very excited to um, one, get to know you as a CFO of this organization and hear a little bit about your story, where you came from, how you've uh, got to where you are today, and then uh, certainly a little bit about Algar and the work you're doing because it's really, really interesting. Uh, so I'm going to turn it over to you. What's, okay. what's the Margot story? The Margot story. Well, I've been in accounting for quite a while now. Um, I started out kind of small businesses. My previous job was um, an outsourced CFO, so I would you know, advise businesses who didn't need a full-time person there or they needed somebody on like a project basis or they really couldn't afford a full-time person. Did that for a long time. And then I was lucky enough to be assigned to Allgaier General Contractors as one of my clients. And like fate. Apparently. It was, yes. Yeah. It, it just worked out that they're about, you know, four miles from my house as well, which is fantastic. Yeah, it was definitely fake. <laughs> yes. And uh, one day they were like, well, can we hire you directly? And at that point I was like, you know, I think I'm done doing the multi-clients all over San Diego, driving around all day. I said, you know, I think this is a good opportunity. So I took it and I'm so lucky I took it because they're just a fantastic team of people that really value their employees 
And I've never worked at a place where the culture, you know, people tout their culture all the time and they're like, we're like a family. And then you get in there and you're like, you are like a very dysfunctional family. (laughs) The advertisement's one thing, reality is another. Yeah, but we really feel (laughs) like- The boss thinks this is a fantastic culture. Yeah, everybody else, not so much. But yeah, they really have done a great job of um, making us more of kind of a little community. You know, there's no stress if you have family obligations, you know, those always come first and you never feel guilty about taking, you know, time off to deal with those things. So I'm really lucky to work there. And then Allgaier General Contractors, it was started by Rick and Marianne Allgaier over 30 years ago. Now they um, started out with small projects, but really made their way into the niche of um, affordable housing over the years, which is kind of hard to get into. We're really lucky we're in that space now as a general contractor. We work with just a few developers that we've built affordable projects with over the years. And we have two projects in process and two more coming up this year, all affordable. And these are sizable projects. They're big, yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. this this isn't some little (laughs) corner. Right, yeah. Um, 50 to 100 units normally. It depends on kind of, um, we've done senior affordable. We just do, you know, affordable. We've worked with St. Paul's Pace um, for supportive services, just kind of all over the board, but always affordable. We do other things, you know, like little TI on the side. Um, we have a division that God's does, Garage. God's Garage. That's, <laughs> I wouldn't say that's little, but um, we also have a division that does expert witness um, testimony for construction defect litigation. It's kind of another part of our business, but really I think the business is centered around that passion for building affordable housing. So yeah, that's what we do. And that's what we're, you know, we started the foundation to kind of support that affordable housing world. Do you want me to talk about the foundation and what we do? Yeah, I want you to share a little bit with, yeah. Okay. So when Rick and Marianne retired, um, our VP or executive VP, Scott, he was looking to find kind of a fantastic gift to give them. So he came up with this idea of the Allgaier Foundation as their gift, which is such a wonderful idea. But Really, in building affordable housing, we've noticed that those people, while they get this apartment, which is fantastic for them, um, they don't have a lot of the basics that they need. You know, that's dish detergent, laundry detergent, pots, pans, things like that. Even like canned foods to start their pantry. They don't have a lot of those things when they move in. So we thought, well, this is a need we can fulfill pretty easily. Um, so we started out doing that. Um, we did some grand openings in the beginning where, you know, here's your little welcome kit. Here's all the things you'll need to get started with your new life. When COVID hit, we really changed the focus. A lot of these people, especially the seniors in affordable housing, couldn't leave their apartments. They were really isolated. So we were like, how can we bring just a little bit more joy into their lives? So we just kind of did these cute little little gift bags. They had some candy, some snacks, some games, um, just a little you know, we're thinking of you, we're here for you. A way to connect with them, right? Exactly, yeah. During a very lonely period. Exactly, yeah. So we did that for a while. Um, You know, lots of trips to Costco and bagging things in Scott's garage for a while. Um, We finally moved into the warehouse at Allgaier General Contractors eventually. And um, now we've kind of branched out. We're starting to do scholarships for residents of affordable housing that uh, can help them get to college. And we just awarded our first round. We gave out 10 scholarships. Oh, wow. We just opened our second round of application for fall semester too. That is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. We're really, really really proud of the work and hope we can grow even more in the next couple of years. So share a little bit more from your perspective. Uh, You kind of said there's a handful of developers in this space. Mm -hmm. I mean, it sounds like kind of a a small community of some sort. I don't know how how the government fits into this. Maybe educate us a little bit. I mean, here in San Diego, I mean, this is a huge issue. Here's my wife, I'm out of a homeless. She's, well, job one is you got to have a place to actually move into. Right. And we don't. Right. We just don't. Even the, I don't even have shelters, right? 
So maybe inform us, Lois. What's going on out there? Is there something hopeful on the horizon? What's this look like, Margo? Yeah, I mean, right now we're seeing, you know, there's always a push to build more affordable housing. As far as the permitting and getting the financing, that's all our developers. Um, A lot of the financing is from the government. And they have to kind of pull from all these different sources to get a project financed. So there's, you know, traditional bank funding, there's government programs. And that's the role of the developer to help bring all the financing? Yeah, they get all the financing. And then um, we actually don't really bid the work. It's kind of already granted us, like, we have this affordable project, we have financing, we want you to build it now. So we come in at that point, we work with the architects and other trade partners to um, build it. But I think, I mean, you've probably seen the problem's not really being resolved as far no, as not, homelessness. Um, you know, I was downtown I, the other day. I mean, we got our own thing at Pacific Beach, right. but I was downtown and I'm like, oh, this is a whole nother story down here. Right. And even, you know, where I live in Carlsbad, it's more of a pervasive problem than it was before. We have one of our developers who works with the mayor of San Diego and we always work with, you know, local leadership as well to really try and set aside these properties for affordable housing. Um, some of the roadblocks that they've faced is a lot of people think, you know, I don't want affordable housing in my community. Right. It's not here. It's it's a great idea, but it's just not in my neighborhood. Yes. And I think that's a really like warped (laughs) idea of what affordable housing actually is. If you go and look at these properties, I mean, they're beautiful properties. They look just like every other thing that's built around here. That's market rate. And you're giving someone an opportunity to change their life. I think they think that these people are going to come in and they're still going to do the same things. And, you know, it's not that way at all. Once you give them a place to live and the supportive services, it changes everything. And I think people kind of need to change their perception of what affordable housing can be. Well, that's one of the things uh, you guys did a great job at that event and showing some videos of the properties Mm -hmm. and all that. And I was just struck by, yeah, this isn't about slapping up some whatever cheapest, whatever. Like what, I think one property was like backing on the freeway or something. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, so how do we make a design that takes that into account? But that's, that's not the feature of our, right. our of, of your new home is the, is the freeway in the backyard. And then how do you create a community within a community? Mm-hmm. And so how does that happen? I mean, do you guys collaborate with the architects or the architect, or is, is this little kind of group already kind of got the right mindset? How, how does that happen? So it's mostly the architects that design the space to be what you just mentioned. Um, we work with one architect in particular who's really good about, I was talking to somebody the other day about it and actually my sister, cause she's an architect and she was like, how do I get into affordable housing design? And I was like, well, you know, it's not just designing an apartment community. It's more of, I don't think forcing is the right word, but that's the only word I could come up with forcing community within the space. So a lot of ours have like, um, a communal space in the middle. We have, you know, community rooms that have kitchens and resources there. So fostering that community feel within the projects is the utmost priority. We want what's, these, what's the philosophy behind that? So we want these people to, you know, here's your apartment. We don't want them to be isolated okay. in that space. We want them to come together. We're here for you. Then we want them to feel supported, offer supportive services so that we're not just giving them a place to live. We're giving them a place to succeed. Ah, okay. Um, so I love that. So there's a whole nother mindset behind this, which, because right. you know, classic Southern California, I, I don't know my neighbor. Right, exactly. <laughs> yes. Why, why would I want to know them? <laughs> right. And it's really important in the senior communities that are built as well. You know, yes. we, went, we went down and we toured um, one of St. Paul Pace's um, facilities. And it was really interesting because the first, I guess, phase of their facilities, the apartments don't have kitchens. 
So it forces them to come together in the dining room to eat together and mm. talk to somebody else and, you know, have that feeling of community. And I was like, wow, that's really interesting. I don't think I'd ever heard of that before. You know, now they have like a little kitchen in their units, but yeah. it was really interesting. So like, that kind of reminds me of my, my folks uh, when they couldn't kind of manage their own mm -hmm. home anymore and decided to move into the group home kind of deal with independent living, they did they did that right at the very end. Probably shouldn't have been, but anyway. Right. But the kind of the same deal. They had their own little kitchen, but they got a meal or two down at the clubhouse or whatever. And it's like, yeah, you went down there. There was a whole community that was gathering once a day. Yep. Meals at noon. They're all there at eleven. Right. I know. Yep. <laughs> you get there early if you want <laughs> <Yes>. to see. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but it, but to your point, it's fostering relationship and. You would think a lot of these people, this is what they need at this point in yes. time. Mm -hmm. yeah. Especially from the senior side, right? Yes. I mean, one of the things I did see in my parents' thing is there was a community there. Mm -hmm. They're all kind of challenged with health issues and whatnot. So right. there's a community that gets it and they're there to support each other. So, wow, didn't realize all that went into the thinking. Yeah, and if you think about it too, especially, you know, like you said, in the senior community, if someone is homeless as a senior, you know, nine times out of 10, they have some, maybe a medical issue that can't be addressed properly unless they have an address. You know, they, how are you going to take your insulin if you don't have a place to go? And how are you going to, you know, manage your diabetes? It's really a pervasive problem that extends just beyond having a place to live. You know, it's the entire health of the person. Yeah. Wow. So that's amazing work. Yeah. Yeah. And amazing. we're really proud of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Reason to be inspired to go to work every yes, day. Yes. Yes. So to that point, you know, I went to this event and like I say, you, you and I were doing a Zoom meeting. I said, oh, look behind me. And I had, oh, like, yeah. I had my little giveaways, <laughs> yes. which included a bottle of wine, by the way. Yes, which I forgot <laughs> to bring you more. I will. I love Allgaier. It's my <laughs> most favorite. <laughs> we bribe with wine very often. <laughs> but I mean, you know, the, the world I, I play in here is this idea that um, in the vision I personally have is that, you know, we could, if we can get businesses to start to come together and collaborate and kind of shift our mindset um, we could really change San Diego. I mean, mm -hmm. a really positive way. Things like homelessness really would start right. to change a lot if all of a sudden businesses got engaged in a collaborative way to make that happen. So anyways, most of life runs through a certain filter in my head and I'm sitting there listening to the story and just amazed at all the work you guys are doing and all this good stuff and, and recipient through my wife. But then what struck me was so many companies today are saying like, I, I know I'm supposed to be doing some things. I'm supposed to be helping out in the community in some fashion. I think my employees want me to do something. Right. And they struggle to figure out, you know, what they should do. And more often than not, they, they go to the marketing department and say, well, come up with a program. And they'll go, ah, you know, if we did a one-off event somewhere or right. donated some money. And, but, you know, I don't know that people necessarily connect to that. And it's certainly not a way of life, right? So the thing that I love about what you're doing at Allgaier is we're in the construction business. That's the product. That's the service. That's what we bring. We're working in a kind of unique place. It's already got some inspiration to it. Right. But then you manage to say, wow, how do we make this a grander idea? And I got to say, I left there. I didn't hear the word a whole lot, but clearly community. I mean, it was all yeah. about community, the community of the employees, the community of the affordable housing. I mean, everything was community, mm -hmm. which to me, I, I just, that's the higher purpose here. It's right. about fostering these communities. So maybe you can speak a little bit. I don't know if you were there when all that started to happen or the intentionality of that. But again, kind of the idea that like, it's right here in front of us. We don't have to go looking around, just kind of look at your own service and say, well, what else could we do at this that our stakeholders might be interested in? So 
What do you got to share on that one, Margo? Yeah, I mean, that I was think- quite a little speech I just gave. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that, you know, we were actually really fortunate because what we build is already, you know, kind of like a higher calling, the affordable housing. So it wasn't too much of a stretch for us to be like, well, you know, let's go the extra step and actually help the residents there. I think businesses in San Diego, they have a unique opportunity because as big as San Diego is, it's still very small. They're all small businesses. I think- like you said, a big business may be like, oh, I'm going to, you know, donate $10,000 here and be done. But as a small business, you really have a great platform to make a difference here in San Diego. And being a bunch of small businesses, a lot of people know each other, you know? So maybe if you are in a industry that you can't think of something to do, you know, maybe you know a company that's doing something that you want to do the same thing they do in the community. Join forces. Exactly. Yeah. And there's, you know, I even know a woman who she, one of her um, philanthropy roles is she tries to connect businesses and nonprofits. So for example, I don't know, there may be an IT company that she reaches out to and the IT company, I mean, they're like, well, what can we do for charity? She's like, well, I have a nonprofit that needs computers for people in these affordable communities. So it's not hard to be able to give back, even if it's something small. You know, we have a lot of people from our trade partners, the architects, subcontractors that just come and help us. They come for a day and they pack bags for us. And so you've created the opportunity Correct. for your other stakeholders to come participate with what you're doing. Right. And I think every little bit helps, you know, writing a check is always great, but you know, if you can involve employees and more of the community mindset, like we're going to go to all guy general contractors for a day, we're going to sit in their warehouse. We're going to do 10,000 bags. I think it doesn't have to be this huge, you know, gesture to be charitable. You can do something small as a business and still make a great impact. Yeah, I think you just made an interesting comment, like writing the check. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, everybody needs money. It's a wonderful thing. Right. But if you're thinking from the company's perspective, so you write a check for 10,000, 100,000, whatever. It mm-hmm. might be a huge, huge check, but who kind of cares, right? I mean, right, yeah. I mean, if, I, if, I'm a, if I'm working in your department, you know, closing right. the books or something, it's like, yeah. oh, wow, that's nice. They gave 100,000. Right. I, I yeah. got to use some of that versus right. how do you engage me in mm-hmm. something that becomes inspiring and has some meaning and impact? Right. So while the money piece is good and I, and yeah, definitely. And necessary. <laughs> and, and necessary. But if you want the bang for the buck, I guess, mm-hmm. from, you know, what's the ROI even, right? Right. Because you write a check, that's going to have a certain ROI, but probably right. not that big, mm-hmm. unless somehow you write it off in the books. I mean, that's your job. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But from an overall community and that kind of stuff, I'm just not sure that that has that same impact. And, you know, it can, You'd, if we... We love checks. <laughs> it's how I keep our business running. But, you know, if you're the CEO of the company and you write a check to our foundation for $100,000, like like you said, your employees aren't going to know about that. Right. You know, you need to involve your team as well. And, you know, your team might not even have thought of involving themselves in something. And if you give them the opportunity, it's already set up. I want you to come volunteer rather than them having to go seek it out on their own. I think that's much more doable for a lot of people. Right. Or even from the other side where when people start to understand what our grander purpose is, then they become part of the creative process. Right. Mm -hmm. Because all of a sudden they're seeing things and going, oh, you know, there's an opportunity to do this over here, do something over there that we just hadn't seen in the past. Another interesting thing that I've seen a lot lately is um, if you as an employee have a cause that you are um, passionate about, um, my husband's company does it too, they'll match your donation. Mm. And that's a good way to get your employees involved. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's nice. Yeah.
We'll be right back to the show, but first, we have some very exciting news to share. As of this episode, Conscious Curiosity SD is now the official podcast for not only Conscious Capitalism San Diego, but also the Better Business Bureau and Be Local, both organizations here in San Diego. We are so excited to see the continued collaboration that was launched with the recent showing of the documentary Beyond Zero. Together, with the purposeful leadership of these organizations and all of its members, we can be the model city that proves we can use the powerful influence of business to significantly and positively change the city we love. For more information and ways to connect with these organizations, check out the show notes below. Now, back to the show. So that leads to my next question. Yes. Which is, you're a CFO. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we just recently um, showed this documentary called Beyond Zero, which is this really inspiring movie around sustainability and um, this leader who stepped up, you know, 25, 30 years ago and said, all right, we're going to take this product that's 95% oil and we're going to make it a, you know, carbon neutral product and the kind of the journey of that story. Oh, wow. And um, so, you know, this guy goes from, I mean, it's a publicly traded company mm -hmm. with lots and lots of employees. And all of a sudden this, this leader, Ray Anderson, and gets religion and says, Stop, we're, we're going to do this. <laughs> right. The next person they interview is the CFO going, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> I think all CFOs say that quite often. <laughs> exactly. He's like, so he became the guy between Ray and the, the shareholders right. and everyone else. And everyone's going, what's wrong with him? Is he getting senile? <laughs> what, what are we doing with the company? And quite honestly, the CEO, I mean, the CFO was kind of clear about, I just didn't really see it. Right. <laughs> and then ultimately he became the CEO uh -huh. you know, over time. So how do you see this? How do you look at this? And is there an ROI? I mean, how do you measure this? Because this, I think at the end of the day, this is one of the big problems that most business leaders and owners have is like, well, can I afford to do this? Right. Uh, yeah. Versus, well, if I do this thing, will it come back in some fashion? But I can't see the direct connection. So how would you pitch me <laughs> <laughs> on this idea, Margo, that uh, you, you yeah. should go do something lofty that doesn't have a clear <laughs> ROI? Well, fortunately, we're really lucky to have Grant Allgaier at the helm, who is more than willing to make the investment to make the foundation successful. I think as a business, like you said, it's often very daunting to be like, well, what am I going to get, you know, if I spend this 50000 or send my employees out for a day and I lose the productivity? I think that probably you're not going to see it on that day. But us, as we spoke at the event, we've helped over 50,000 residents of 120 different communities. Wow. We've donated over 300,000 pounds of food. I mean, we have made a big impact in a short amount of time. And yeah, it costs money, but it's small compared to the amount of people that we've helped and the impact we've made on the community. I think, you know, obviously a business wants to preserve their bottom line, but a lot of the times the things you can do don't cost as much money as you thought, you know, doing a small charitable donation of food or um, time of your employees time. I mean, these are all very doable things. And I don't think, you know, you don't need to strive for what we did, like 10,000 bags of food to affordable at least, at least communities. Not, not in the first week anyway. Yeah, yeah. Start small. And, you know, like you and I connected through what the foundation is doing, you'll make connections that your return on investment over time will definitely be worth it. And, you know, I don't think you can value somebody having a new start in life in their apartment with the things that we've given them to start their life. I mean, there's no monetary value you can put on that. But I think one of the things that I read about a lot is um, publicly traded companies 
through audits, they want to see what you're doing socially and environmentally. Right. Um, that's that's it, a factor. Now, right? It is. Yeah. And so I think if you can do that somehow, that's, you know, it's important to your investors, to people who would be interested in your company. You need to show that you're interested in the community. You're not just interested in that bottom line anymore. So how do you see that relative to employee engagement? So this is like one of the things I always look at, right? It's mm -hmm. like, 70 some percent of the population doesn't find meaning in work. And so they're kind of showing up, they're sort of trading time for money. It's like, I, I'll give you enough, right? right. I, I'll give you enough that you're not gonna fire me. Right. <laughs> nothing extra, nothing special. And they have a right. lot of opportunity to decide how much they wanna give you, right? right. And yes. so how do you see that playing out at Algar? Do you really see that, you know, by values and whole idea of what you guys are doing that, you know, people are, playing the game at a much higher level, showing up more excited. I mean, people certainly seem to enjoy working there the night yeah. I was at. The, yeah. right, there was lots of wine and great they food, too. So. Definitely enjoyed themselves that night. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, like I said, for us, you know, we're fortunate that we build in the affordable sector and we already have kind of a higher purpose with what we do. But I think in any company, it's really easy to get, like I always say, you know, tied down in the nuts and bolts or me tied down in the numbers. And they do a really good job there of making sure that that's not everything you see. You know, we have quarterly meetings where it's not just, you know, this is how much we made. It's, you know, this is the impact we've made mm, on San you Diego. Go. You know, right. we have created 91 new affordable units. We've helped this many people. I think bringing the bigger picture to your employees more often is really important rather than, you know, oh, our gross profit was 5% and blah, blah, blah. You know, they want to see what that actually means in the community and to them. And I think Allgaier does a fantastic job of doing that. You know, we're very transparent about what's going on and what we've done. And the employees really, I think, appreciate that and are willing to give more because of that. That's interesting you say that. I just all of a sudden flash back to like, I don't know, like 30 years ago. Yeah. I was another. <laughs> so I did a lot of work in medical device back, mm -hmm. in, back in the day. And I worked for a company. So this was back in my corporate career. And uh, we made IV bags. At the same time, we had some nutritional products and some other things. And I mean, I worked inside the building. Right. I, mean, I never mm -hmm. went to a hospital. I never saw a patient. <laughs> right. And then part of some annual meeting or whatever, they went out and made some videos and interviewed some people that had been impacted by the product. And also, I mean, I, I felt like, oh, wow, you know, we're, right. we're actually doing something worthwhile here, yes. right? And not just making salt water. It's like, you know, it, it made a difference. And to your right. point, I don't think often we think about the people that aren't out interfacing in the community or seeing the customers. And so they're kind of detached from that. They just kind right. of got that, you know, put that bolt in this thing. And yes. that's kind of all we know. So that's, that's yeah. part of the job is how do you communicate that to everyone? Yes. And we do things like, you know, the accounting team, obviously we don't ever leave the office, <laughs> but you know, we'll try and go one, take a whole day and go visit job sites, oh, you nice. know, just to, yeah. to get out and see what we're doing and, you know, the little things like that are just really meaningful to the people that work for you. Well, there's another value to that too. It's not even for the meaningful. I used to run some engineering departments and stuff. Mm -hmm. And you know, every once in a while we act, again, send the guy designing the product. We'd actually send them in the field and come back and they go, oh, I just attended a surgery and I just saw stuff. And I right. Did. All of a sudden, I mean, they, they just had a whole nother view of the world. You're right. just not going to get from talking to the marketing guy. It's wow, here's what it should look like. Right. Right. Exactly. You have a different mindset. And it was highly motivating for him as well. But yeah, that's that's great to get people out there. I say yes. that like most nonprofits, I go, oh, we got this lofty goal, but what about the person that's sitting in the office? Right, you know, exactly. How are they connected to it? So yep. good stuff, really good stuff. Make sure people are not just in their bubble all the time. 
So I like that one you're saying it may not be costly as much as you think, yes. right, to do some of these yeah. things. So don't get too crazy about right. it. And, and start out the right way. Maybe collaborate yeah. with some people. Yes. But yeah, sounds good. Especially like with what we did for your wife. I mean, subcontractors, they just would donate like flooring or time, you know, that's a small thing for most of them, but it made such a big impact, you know? Yes. Yes. So. I mean, you know, that it was just, uh, it was kind of funny to you back to like, you guys are like a real construction company. <laughs> yeah. So people went, my wife, they said, well, when's this going to be done? They said, just date in the room. Everyone told my wife, well, that's not going to happen. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. That's usually what people think. That's what most people think, but it wasn't the case. Nope. You guys nailed it on time and, uh, it was awesome. 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 Work. Yeah. It was great. So can we let's talk about the foundation a little mm -hmm. bit here? Um, kind of interesting. You're a bigger company, obviously, and you got some money. And there was kind of this interesting idea that Scott came up with. Yeah, like, let's could. start the foundation. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, here's your gift. Right, yes. <laughs> like, create a nonprofit <laughs> for you people. Right. Maybe talk a little bit about how that came to be and what's it look like. So for anybody who might be toying with the idea of creating their own thing, is this a really strenuous kind of thing, really difficult to do? Or, I mean, don't even think about it unless you're this size. What's some of the parameters around creating a foundation like this? Yeah, I think people probably are intimidated, thinking that it is a lot of work. And fortunately, I didn't have to do any of the legal stuff. That was all Scott. But, you know, it's just... Scott's a lawyer, by the way. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's applying for 5013 status, you know, the kind of you know, little paperwork things that need to be done, but you can hire somebody to do that. And it really wasn't that much. And, you know, we didn't start it with, okay, in year one, we're going to donate a million dollars and do all these things. You know, we kind of started really small. We you kind said of, you were in Scott's garage. Yes. <laughs> we didn't really do anything for the first couple of months. And then mm. we did a couple small things. And then with COVID, we're like, we can do a couple more small things. And I think people think that, you know, if you start a nonprofit right away, we got to do all these things. And, you know, I was kind of under the impression, like, if we start this nonprofit, is there, you know, like, legally, do we have to do this in the first year or <laughs> do all these things? And really, you don't. You can start it and say, okay, well, you know, this year, all I'm going to do is I'm going to go out and volunteer three times. You know, it's not, I don't think there's the roadblocks to it that people think there mm, are. Okay. It, it's, um, and, you know, financially too, the smaller you are, the less you can put off being having to have a formal audit every year of your nonprofit. So that's always good. But yeah. So I what's think, the threshold on that? I think, uh, we're talking to my wife about this. I think it's a million dollars in, <laughs> oh, okay. in donations. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you have to be we, we had a ways to go on that one. <laughs> one or two million. I can't remember what it is, but, um, yeah, I think that, you know, you don't have to be the Susan G. Komen, you know, right away, start small. And then, you know, we started small and then the more time that went along, we're like, Hey, there's also this other need. So maybe we should explore that and do that slowly. And so I, it's doable for anyone. So we're not lacking for needs. No, that, that's definitely out mm -hmm. there. Any other thoughts on the foundation? I mean, what's your best story to date? Oh, the best story. So we did an event called Spring Harvest. We did that this year and we went, worked with a local farm and we were like, we're going to bag 10,000 bags of fresh fruits and vegetables for people in affordable communities because we know they need it. We know prices are just out of control right now. And obviously the fresh fruits and vegetables, they haven't survived the cost increase and that's harder for people to have, have access to. So Scott had this great idea for this. And so we had the entire back alley filled with people bagging stuff. And we thought we were just going to be so organized and it was going to go so smoothly. We got project managers right. in this company. This shouldn't be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, Scott and Margo are in charge. <laughs> yeah. So I don't, I mean, 
overall, the goal was like so wonderful, but we learned so much, you know, just like we'd say, okay, you don't only put this much in a box and it'd be 10 bags in a box. And then we'd count and there'd be like eight and 12 and this. And we were like, we got to label each one for the communities. And it was just, I mean, people who were there didn't know it was such a, pardon my French shit show, but behind the scenes, we were like, oh my God, we did not do this right. So we learned a lot. We know what to do next time. We had such a fun day though. And, you know, it was raining and people still were out there bagging stuff. So it was awesome. But I think probably every nonprofit's going to have that moment where you're like, I'm going to do this big thing. And then you're doing it and you're like, oh, shit, maybe I don't know what I'm doing yet. And that's okay. We still made it and we still right, did all right. the deliveries. But yeah, it was pretty funny. And that's probably my favorite time we've had. I mean, there's obviously every day there's silly stuff that happens. Was it with you know? uh, employees doing the work? Or? Employees, trade partners. I mean, trade we had- So you got everybody. Well, we had- Hundreds of volunteers. All your out stakeholders. There. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Again, yeah. there's the great opportunity, exactly. right? Bringing people yep. together, relationships mm -hmm. get built. Now we got a problem on the site. Oh, wait, I I know Margot, right? Right. Exactly. <laughs> I, we packed some fruit one day. Right. Together, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I can call her, and yeah. Right. I mm -hmm. mean, isn't that how things work? Yes. Mm -hmm. Versus, yeah. I don't know this person and whatever. So yeah. Right. yeah. I mean, yes, folks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> get in the game. Get in the game. Right. <laughs> You guys, uh, as a business, have gone through uh, an interesting time here, which is a pretty common thing going on in the, the marketplace because all these dudes that look like me are starting to say, it's time, Stop it's time, it. it's time, to, it's time <laughs> to age out and go do something else. Maybe start a podcast or something. So Marianne and Rick um, have uh, kind of moved on. I'm sure they probably still got some role in the business on board or whatever, but uh, maybe share a little bit what this has looked like. What did you do? I know Grant was in the business kind of way, way back when yeah. and that was mm -hmm. part of the story that, you know, he had to work in all the different areas. Oh, of the business. Yes. So he uh -huh. had, had that yeah. going for him. But, you know, when you do have an actual transition of leadership, a lot of times uh, the next gen has a little different view about what, right. you know, what their bigger view and vision is. And so maybe speak a little bit, what well, did you do in preparation? Kind of what's going on? Any big surprises? And kind of, again, come from a kind of education piece for other people that other leaders listen to this that are pondering, you know, making that shift. Yeah, I think the most important thing that really helped us achieve success in the transition was having a really defined um, succession plan for Rick and Marianne and then obviously giving the business to Grant. Um, it started over 10 years ago. Scott was hired to- 10 years ago. Okay. Yeah. Yep. This wasn't like, oh, hey, today no, I'm going like, to no, 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 get tired. No, no. I'm not going to work today. <laughs> no. You know, Scott was hired to really prepare Grant. For the transition, uh, okay. okay, wow, um, and get him ready to do that. And during that time, the goal was to surround Grant with people who could support him in running the company eventually. So Scott was kind of that first person to do that, and then they hired Patrick, who is um, now our senior VP, to help with estimating, really um, prop up that part of the company. And then when I came on board, that was kind of the financial part to help with that part. So they really. The goal was to build a team that could help Grant achieve success as the new president of the company. Um, Rick was very diligent and very smart in the way he approached everything so that when there was the transition, it wasn't like the employees were like, oh, what do we do now? You know, what is right. this going to be like? Right. Towards the end, Rick was still there, but Grant was running everything, which I think was really important for everyone to see too, you know. That was already happening. Exactly. Yeah. It was a really great plan and it worked out beautifully, you know. Rick and Grant may have different philosophies and, you know, but I don't, overall, the same message comes from both of them, which is, you know, do the right thing, help the people, you know, 
make sure we are honest and transparent and we value our employees and our community. That message has never changed regardless. So of the core values and yes. mission are always the same, you know, Grant may be able to use the computer a little better than <laughs> we may be a little more technologically advanced now than we were before. But, yeah. you know, those things obviously are going to change with any leadership change. It's the consistent message that I think brings success to a company. Yeah. One of my guests that came in here was Jackie Reed from TS Restaurants, mm -hmm. um, Dukes. And, oh, yeah. Uh -huh. And they were gone through some family stuff and they actually stopped and stepped back and brought in a facilitator to look at the values and say, ah. are these still the values? That's and ultimately, ultimately, yeah, they still held right there, but they, they went through the exercise, at least, you know, review it, look at it, adjust them accordingly. And mm -hmm. so I thought that was important, but you said something super important. I mean, this started 10 years ago. Yeah. Truly. Mm -hmm. Yes. Many, many <laughs> business leaders like, all right, I'm getting older, I get ill or something could happen with right. no plan. Yep. And one was, how do we help Grant step up the role? But also, if it's not a family transition, you're going to sell the business. The value of the business is going to be way higher if you got all these other key players like right. yourself in the business saying, yeah, it's not dependent on one person. <laughs> if Rick leaves, the whole thing crumbles. Right. It's the idea that we've got a real business here. Mm -hmm. So message to uh, senior <laughs> business leaders thinking about their next big move and transitioning right. out of the businesses can't get started really kind of earlier enough, early enough on that. Right. And even if you don't foresee, you know, making a change anytime soon, still kind of have an it's idea a bad thing, right? of a plan. Yeah. yeah. You know, just so I think one of the greatest things that happened when Grant took over was we really didn't have any turnover because everybody was aware of what's going on. You know, there wasn't a surprise and mm. we were consistent in the message we sent to everybody. So I think that's important too. You know, if you have a company where the CEO one day he's like, Hi, here's your new guy. That's not yeah. going to go over well with yeah. anybody. Yeah. <laughs> you just, we just got acquired by some big company. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and we're not yeah. going to be having an entirely different culture. Right. And, uh, uh -huh. you know, all the rules are going to change. But other than that, it's going to be great. Yeah. Don't, and don't of course, you've seen that happen when people are like, I'm not staying here. You right. Know? right. It's painful. Yeah. Well, we're kind of coming to the end of okay. the program yeah. here. Mm -hmm. Flies by, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Some, I can't believe fun. it's been that long already. <laughs> yeah. So, well, what's the big idea here? So, if someone's idea. commuting in a car and they're getting out to walk them to the office and start their day. What's the one big idea you want them to walk away with from this podcast? I think there's probably two. Okay, we'll give you two. The first one is I think we strive to change your view of affordable housing. You know, it's not some horrible looking little project over there that's going to have all these problems in your community. It is only there to help your community. You have a homeless problem in your community, this is gonna help that. You have people who need assistance, this is gonna help that. There's no detriment to your community. It's only trying to help. So I think changing the mindset of what affordable housing is, is really important. The other one is don't be afraid to start small with your philanthropic efforts. You know, you don't have to be the big guy right away. The littlest things can go the farthest way when you start out as a business. You don't have to shell out a lot of money or a lot of time um, to make a difference in the community. That's probably the way to start. Yes, it's probably <laughs> a better way to start, yeah. Don't do the big uh, food packing projects. No, <laughs> no, although it could be an excellent learning experience for you. What <laughs> not to do. Right. <laughs> Get the lawyer and the CFO in charge. Yeah, and, uh, I don't know who's Go write a project. <laughs> I mean, I had a lot of spreadsheets, but that didn't help. <laughs> Oh my, all right, <laughs> on that note. <laughs> 
Margo, I want to thank you for taking the time to come to the show today and sharing your amazing experiences, insights, and wisdom, and for all the work that you're doing and the Algar team is doing here in the community of San Diego to make this a better place. That's our show for today. And if you enjoyed it, please subscribe. And most importantly, share the podcast with a friend. And again, special thanks to our community of business organizations, the Better Business Bureau, Conscious Capital in San Diego, and Be Local San Diego, who are all collaborating to use the influence of business to positively impact our very own community of San Diego. I'm Jeff Blanton from Jailbreak Leadership saying, in the meantime, go do what you do. Go do what you do best, or we're all counting on you. <laughs>